with that, we have been talking through the, uh, the idea of some foundational pieces to our faith as Christians. All right, uh, And unfortunately, some of these foundational things aren't talked about very often in churches. Uh, maybe because we assume that people already know them. Uh, but it doesn't really matter why it is. And it's leaving people not having the understanding that they need uh, of just some very crucial things. All right, and so early on, we talked about how in the past, these things might have been covered in some type of Christian education, maybe like Sunday school or catechism or something like that. But in the last couple decades, Sunday school is something that's kind of began to disappear. I mean, it's not something that we have at our church. We have life groups, but if I'm honest... I don't think life groups completely replace the Christian education that was Sunday school. And so we just feel like there's some things that maybe are missing that we should be talking about and, and we haven't. And uh, today, I, I want to go after a question that I think you may think, why are we even talking about this? This sounds so simple and so dumb. But at the end of this, you might be like, whoa, what just happened here? And so the question I want to I cover today is this. What happens when we die? What happens when we die? You know, and I think that this is something that, uh, you know, spoiler, we're not going to have any actual great answers. Uh, we may have more questions than answers at the end of this. And I want to talk through from a few different angles and give you information uh, that we do have. And then you can kind of come to your own idea based off of this, based off of what we see in Scripture, not just based off of what we've maybe thought of or heard in the culture around us or kind of just these things that, do we actually know why we believe what we do? So I, I'm actually excited about this. I, this may be kind of wild today, but uh, I'm excited about this. So let's, let's do this. Before we get started, if you're willing and able, would you stand with me? I actually just want to open us in prayer today uh, as we kind of dive into this and just ask that, uh, that God's words would just come through to us. So Lord, we, we thank you for this time that we can gather. God, and even just the next few moments of of this, that really are communal worship, as we open up your Bible, as we, as we dig in, as we grow, as we spend time together focusing on you, God, that this would be worship as well. And so, Lord, we just ask that this time would be challenging, that this time would change us. Amen. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. As a pastor, uh, you end up being around death. Uh, whether it's from hospital visits or funerals or just life, like uh, I think at times you end up being around it a little bit more than probably the average person. And in these moments, uh, you hear people as they begin to process and think out loud. Uh, and, and this is as they're grieving and things are raw and emotional. And, and often statements are made that I think are well-intentioned. Uh, they are meant to comfort someone who is hurting, but at the same time are... <laughs> a really bad theology, all right? Uh, and, and those are not the times to try and correct something like that, all right? Like, I have, I am, I, I'm not super smart, but I am at least smart enough to know to not open my mouth in those moments, all right? And, and like, but at the same time, you begin to hear kind of people process these things, um, and, and, and they're trying to find comfort, they're trying to find hope, uh, and, and maybe you know a little bit of what I'm talking about. Like uh, a classic one is, is kind of a line of something along the lines of like, well, now I have another guardian angel, you know, and, and you're sitting there and you're like, oh, okay, we're just not going to touch that. that. All right, yep. And, uh, you know, something along those lines. Or, uh, and maybe the, these statements are, are made by people who would say that they are Christians, 
But oftentimes, the amount of people that would say that they're a Christian or would say, yes, I believe in God, but actually are like actively involved in a relationship with him, growing, learning, things like that, that number is, is two different numbers. All right? And so I think lots of times you end up with people that just say, yeah, I, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. Um, and then they begin to try and process these things, and they don't really know what to do with it. And I think their ideas of what happens when we die probably are more pulled in from the culture around them, from Hollywood, from all sorts of different things, uh, instead of uh, from Scripture. And so we get this idea of guardian angels, or you know, heaven as a new angel, or they're watching down over me, or various things like this. And, and we're going to dive into this today. How much of this could be accurate? How much maybe isn't? What, what should we do with this? And uh, I think another big thing that we have is a classic question that people would ask. Uh, like, if you were to die today, do you know where you would go? All right? And I see this on billboards as I, like, drive through central Minnesota, right? You know what I'm talking about? And usually it has that question. And then on, on one side, there's, like, all this red and orange and flames, and it says hell. And the other side is probably, I don't know, blue and white and maybe also yellow. I, and it says heaven, you know? And it's like, do you know where you would go if you died? If you don't, call 1-800-TRUTH-something, you know, and it's like this, this big th- billboard on the, on the highway. All right, and, and so here's the crazy thing. The Bible actually talks very, very little, like shockingly little, about what happens to people when they die. Because th- there are two pieces to this. There's what happens when I die, and then what happens after the return of Jesus and will continue to happen for eternity. And we often kind of put those things together or mix them up. All right, but those are two different things. And so next week, I actually, I want to look at the idea of eschatology, which is just a big fancy word for the study of like end times. Like what, what is that going to look like uh, for eternity? How does this whole thing wrap up? But today is what happens when I die? And this question is answered a little different between, uh, I'm, I'm going to say not Old Testament and New Testament. I'm actually going to say Old Covenant and New Covenant. All right, and that may be a new thing for you, uh, but essentially when Jesus died and made a new way, we entered into a new covenant. So the difference between that is, is not just the Old Testament and New Testament, but also the fact that while Jesus was here ministering, doing his, doing his thing, like we still would have been under the Old Covenant. All right, so you'll see that in, in one or two of our passages today. But there's, there's a difference between these, and we're going to touch on both of them. Uh, But before I jump in here, there are some phrases today that we are going to define, and hopefully this helps us track along today. All right, all of these refer to a place where we, where where people are maybe said to go after death. This is from the Bible. Okay, so we have we have a phrase Sheol. Okay, this is a Hebrew phrase. All right, then we have a phrase Abraham's bosom. Some of you are like, church is getting wild today. What are we talking about? And, And you're like, wait, this is places we go. I don't know where that is, but I hope that's not where I'm going. No, all right. Hades, Gehenna, paradise. Okay, each one of these are phrases that we see in the Bible talking about when people die, uh, potentially where they would go. Now, here's kind of the funny or interesting thing. What is not on this list? Two very common words that we probably hear the most, heaven and hell. It's not on the way. Okay, we'll get through that as we go this. But just understand, this is, this is a little different from what we usually would think, all right? And we're going to touch on that at the end. Now, under the Old Covenant, we can piece together different passages and statements that biblical authors make and give us a rough idea of what their belief was about death and what happened. Now, whether what they believed about death is true or not is another discussion. 
Okay, and that might sound like I'm saying the Bible isn't true or something like that, but, but think of it this way. Okay, the people of the Bible very well probably had the idea that the earth was flat, that the earth was the center of the universe. Okay, now does that make it true? No, not necessarily. Uh, does it make the Bible inaccurate? No, not at all. Like this, this is the belief uh, system that people were working within. I had a guy in our church in Duluth trying to convince me that uh, the earth was flat based off of a reading of the King James Bible and some specific phrases he pulled out, and he was very passionate about it. All right? Uh, in the same way, what they believed about death, maybe it was true, uh, maybe it wasn't. And that doesn't make the Bible inaccurate. We are never meant to use the Bible as a textbook like that. Okay? Um, and so we have a strong reason to believe that what happens after we die may have changed following the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's where we have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So we're talking about prior to the death of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus. All right, this is the Old Covenant. Um, and in the Old Testament, the main Hebrew word that was used to talk about the afterlife is a place called Sheol. Okay, Sheol is used 65 times in the Old Testament. Primarily, it's translated as the grave. Okay, here's a breakdown of how the NIV translation translates the Hebrew word Sheol. Okay, and so you'll see all those different things that are up there. This is how it translates it based off of the sentence. Okay, um, and so you have things like uh, the grave. You also have death, underworld, place of the dead, depths below, things like that. When Jacob's sons tell him about the death of Joseph, okay, which wasn't true, actually. Jacob is grieving, though, over this, uh, and he won't be comforted, and he says, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in Sheol, or in the grave. Psalm 89 says, who can live and not see death? Who can escape the power of Sheol? Psalm 88 says, I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, which is translated as, as death in that verse. So you can kind of see a little bit of the ideas that are here. Grave, death, underworld, all, all these different things. So there's many examples, and I'm, I'm not going to go through all that, but it, it, this is accompanying this idea, death, grave, underworld. And, and I think that they knew that this wasn't a physical place, even though at times they may talk that way. Like if I went down to the depths of Sheol, if I, you know, who could dig to, you know, and they'll say different things like that. But at the same time, they knew that this wasn't really... Uh, an actual place with coordinates, okay? Um, in, in, this, in their mindset, in ancient Near East mindsets, you actually had three areas. They kind of broke the world into three areas. You had the land, which they would talk about as where we are. You had the waters below. This was the depths, the abyss. Uh, waters represent chaos and darkness. Like Jonah, as he prays, he actually says that he was rescued by God from Sheol. Okay, he was down in the water inside of a fish, and he says that he was rescued from Sheol. So you can see that this word has several things. It's kind of like uh, how we have the word love, but in, in other languages, you might have multiple different words that mean different things in there. Okay? Um, and, and so they saw, I think, uh, all these different things that are there. Like everyone, oh, sorry, I, I was going through. They, they have land, they have the depths, and that was kind of like this idea. Uh, and, and then you have the sky, and that was thought of as like God's realm. So we'll see those three words, land, 
water or depths and sky, and they aren't necessarily meaning that as the literal land, the literal water and depths, or the literal sky. They break that into this idea of where we are, where God is, and this other dark, unknown, spiritual realm. All right? And so within the Old Testament, it seems that they had a belief that everyone who died went to Sheol. Okay? Uh, it was the place of the dead. And what many scholars think is that the idea of bodily resurrection, the idea that we would hold today, wasn't something that they thought of at this time. They kind of saw death as the end. Everyone went to the realm of the dead, but, uh, but they did think that there might be different areas of Sheol, some better than others. Some would be a bit of a reward. Uh, and this is where like the main patriarchs like Abraham and, and other faithful people would be. Uh, and that's kind of what's referred to as Abraham's bosom, where there's like, okay, there might be different areas in this underworld. And some might be better, uh, and, and other ones would be a punishment or a torment and things. Now in the New Testament, this word uh, that was Sheol in Hebrew is translated as Hades. Okay? And so that's, that's simply the definition of, of Hades, is this is the Greek form of the underworld, of this afterlife, of, of whatever all of this is. And Jesus uses these terms with the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, Jesus always used terms and framework that people of that time understood. Now again, that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is saying this is absolutely how it was. He's, he's talking in ways that they understood. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. All right, and so I'm going to read it from a more word-for-word -word translation than what we typically use on a Sunday morning. And so you have the rich man living this rich life, and you have Lazarus, who is a beggar, and he has, he's sick, and he has sores all over him, and he's, he's waiting and begging for money. So it says this in verse 22. In due course, the poor man died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. As he was being tormented in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in, and Lazarus in his bosom. Father Abraham, he called out, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. My child, replied Abraham, remember that in your life you received good things, and in the same way Lazarus received evil. Now he is comforted here, and you are tormented. Besides that, there is a great chasm standing between us. People who want to cross over from here to you can't do so, nor can anyone get across from the far side to us. Now, traditionally speaking, I think as we read this, what would be the images and the thoughts that would come into our mind? Probably heaven and hell. All right, but, but the actual wording that's used here is, is slightly different, and I think sometimes it's, it's important for us to understand this. So Jesus has the picture of Hades in Abraham's bosom. Now, Jesus does have another term that he uses, and this term is almost exclusive to him. Okay, it's used 12 times in the New Testament. 11 of those are by Jesus. The one other time is actually by Jesus' brother, James. Okay, uh, and, and this term is Gehenna. All right, and, and Gehenna is used uh, more so when you read through where this word falls. It's used as a future place of punishment that you would go. Gehenna is more of the idea of what we would traditionally call hell. All right, it's, it's, it's the punishment in the Sermon on the Mount uh, for those who are angry and they let angry overcome them. Uh, it's when, when Jesus says it's better to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand than allow those to, to let you sin and send you to Gehenna. 
All right? Uh, and it's, it says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Instead, be afraid uh, of your body and your soul being killed in Gehenna. Gehenna is actually, play, it's based on an actual place, uh, which is kind of interesting. It, it's the Valley of Hinnom. Okay, and so you have these words that are put together. Geh would be like this kind of valley of, and then you have Hinnom. Okay, and, and the Valley of Hinnom is found in the Bible. It's in, it's in Joshua. Uh, it's, in, it's in, I think, the end of 1 Samuel, 1st uh, or 2nd Kings. But the big place we see is Jeremiah. And what they talk about is this valley was just south and west of Jerusalem. And it's actually where these wicked Jerusalem kings, they went and they partook in child sacrifice. They killed their own children as a sacrifice to God, which obviously God did not want that. And, and they, so they were, they were worshiping Baal in this, in, in sacrificing their children in the valley of Hinnom. So when he uses the phrase Gehenna to the people of that day, all sorts of images come in their mind as this is a, a bad place. This is an awful place. You don't want to go there. Okay, like today, we would struggle with this idea, but like, it would almost be like if we said, like, you know, where the Battle of Gettysburg were, and you're like, oh, there's like so much death, and like there was so, at one point, there was so much blood in this field. Or, you know, we talk about maybe like Auschwitz, or Chernobyl, or like you have these places, when I say those words, they come into your mind of just this like, just dark, wicked, evil place. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's calling on, on this valley, and he's using that, but he seems to, he uses the phrase a lot, saying this, this is a place, and not just the physical valley. Like, he's using it in a different way. All right, and so many newer or more literal translations will keep the term Hades, all right, which, which separates it from Gehenna. So this, this is uh, NIV. Again, you can see, so the word is Hades. How do they translate it? Well, the vast majority of the time, they just keep it as Hades. And then there's, there's a few times where they translate it as realm of the dead. All right? Uh, which separates it from Gehenna. It gives us a, a good idea that there might be multiple places. Unfortunately, the, the King James Version translates almost all of Hades uh, and Gehenna into the term hell. Okay, and so you can see this. Here's Hades. That's how they translate it. They translate almost all of it as hell. Uh, and actually, in the Old Testament, the King James takes Sheol that we had just talked about, which is like the depths, the underworld, and they translate a ton of that one as hell as well. And so what it's done is it's taken these multiple phrases that seem to be in the Bible about different places, and it's making it all into one. All right, and, and so it, it, if today is sparking things in you, you're like, I want to dig into this more. Understand this. If you go on the internet and you start searching through this, you are going to find people that say that the only translation of the Bible we should use is the King James, and they're going to be very passionate about it, and they are going to say the modern Bibles are trying to remove hell from the Bible. All right, and, and they're trying to get rid of this, and, and it's like, no, that's not what's happening. We are trying our best to understand what the original language was trying to get across. And translating all these words as the same thing is not really the best way to do that. All right? Um, so just understand that. Like, staying truer to the original language um, is a better way of communicating. So using the same word hell for several different Greek or Hebrew words uh, in their context are, are not meaning the same thing. Like, this is confusing. It's going to confuse a lot of people. All right, so going back and trying to separate these out and have a full understanding. Uh, but this is difficult. Like, I grew up um, still at the time where when we would memorize scriptures and, like, our little Wednesday night thing, a lot of it was done King James or New King James. 
All right, so when you read a verse and all of a sudden it says Hades, and you're like, oh, I thought that said hell. Like, why does it say Hades? Like, sometimes that can feel weird. Like, are they trying to diminish that idea? And, and that's not the case at all. In fact, I, wanna, I want us to look at one passage here, and then we're going to move on. Revelation 20. And you'll see why this doesn't make sense to use the same word for all of it. So he says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Now again, remember, the sea doesn't always mean like the Pacific Ocean. All right, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. So these are the places that apparently people are at. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So we have, we have the sea, death, and Hades giving up the dead. All right, so the, these are all listed as separate, but then it says death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. Like traditionally, we have used hell to reference the, the destination of those who have not chosen to follow Jesus. But here it's referred to as the lake of fire. Okay, so we'll kind of add that on to Gehenna as a little bit of maybe that's, that's what this is. All right, so we have whatever the current holding place is, Hades, being thrown into the second. If both of those are hell, how do you throw hell into hell? Like what's, what's happening in this passage here is absolutely talking about different specific things. So what is the current place? Where do we go when we die? Prior to the return of Jesus and, and judgment of people. Well, we are going to read four short passages, because that's all we have, that talk a little bit about what happens after death. And as I read through these, you are going to be like, are you kidding me? That's all we have to go on. <laughs> like, seriously, we're going to read through these four. This is, this is what we are told happens when we die. Okay? So Luke 23 uh, this is the only gospel account with this passage in it. You have the two criminals on the cross on either side of Jesus. One mocks him, the other defends him. Then the one who's defending him says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, so today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is another phrase that we get where someone maybe is going to be. All right? Uh, this word, paradise is only used three times in the New Testament. It would be the word that in the, in the Old Testament, so there's an Old Testament that is translated into Greek. All right, this word paradise is what's used for the Garden of Eden. This like ideal of what God's creation was. All right, so we have Jesus saying that. Then we have Paul three different times talk about what it's like when we die. Uh, and this letter, he uses paradise in chapter 12 as well, uh, talking about being caught up in a vision. But he says, 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, We are confident and we would much prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So to be away from the body is to be in the presence of God. He reiterates this idea in Philippians chapter 1 when he is debating which is better to live and minister to the people or to die and be with Jesus. He says, I'm pulled both ways at once. I would really love to leave all this and be with the king because that would be far better. 
That's three of our four spots so far. And the last one, 1 Thessalonians, he talks about people who have died, Paul does, and he says, now concerning those who have fallen asleep. And that's his phrase. And that's it. That's all we have. Jesus says, like, today, today you'll be with me. But we don't know what paradise is necessarily. Paul says to die is to be with the Lord. And then he likens it to falling asleep. And that's it. Now again, remember, we are told a lot more about what things will look like after Jesus returns. And after everything is made right again. But the in-between, we actually don't have much about that. And, and, And there's a question if what Jesus and Paul say about when we die would apply to everyone or maybe just those that are choosing to be part of God's plan. Because if that's the case, we're actually told nothing about what happens to someone who dies, who is not living for Jesus in that moment, in that in-between there. So to answer the question, do you know where you will go when you die? Nope. And I don't think you do either. (laughs) All right? Like, it's just kind of one of those things. Like, it's this classic question that's out there. Now, again, I think what people are meaning when they say that is actually, do you know what's going to happen eternally? With you, Like, I, I don't think they're actually trying to, to define what happens when you die. But it just is a funny way of phrasing it. And I think so often, uh, we have this idea that, like, Christianity is all about what happens when we die. And if that were the case, I think we would know a lot more than what we do. Okay? The, the, than what we have. And so it's, this isn't about the afterlife. It's more about the life after the afterlife. That's what we have more on. That, that's what we're looking forward to. That's what, we, that's what our, our focus is on. And I think a, a, final, a final little kind of wild loop here is that there's not anywhere in the Bible that you can find the phrase that would say, go to heaven as something that we do. You, you actually can't, it's, it's not in there. So if this isn't what it's all about, what is it about? Well, we've mentioned this before. Jesus spends the majority of his time focused on one topic, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what will be established at the return of Christ and will be in place for eternity after that. And what will happen is that the two realms, God's realm, okay, so whether we say this is heaven, uh, the sky, paradise, God's realm, all right, and will be joined back together with our realm. Earth, land, whatever it is you want to phrase it. At the beginning of the Bible, we see that these two realms seem to be connected, and God is walking through the garden. He is walking through paradise with Adam and Eve in this, this mixed together place. And then sin enters the world, and, and because God cannot be in the presence of sin, it breaks these two places apart. It breaks them apart. And and when we read about what's going to happen in the end, when we read through Revelation, and we're going to talk about this a little bit next week, we actually, we get this picture of a new heaven and new earth joining together in what they would call the new Jerusalem. And these two realms, these two kingdoms that were once broken apart by sin are now back together. And Revelation 21.3 says, Look, God's home is now among his people. 
So even when we say go to heaven, it's less of us going and more of heaven coming down. So you could say we aren't going to spend eternity in heaven. We will spend eternity in God's presence. We know this. And it will be in this beautiful, joined together, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, where God is with his people, like he once was in the Garden of Eden. In this paradise, where we are once again with him, the way that he originally intended it. So why does this matter? Can't can't we just live our life and we'll figure this all out when it happens? In some ways, yes. All right? Like, if you're sitting here today and you're like, I didn't know any of that. I'm still not sure that I needed to know any of that. I, I think to some extent you can, you can live your life. Like we have, we have this mission that God has given us to live out and, and, and to accomplish. And I think that we can do that. You know, what we do know is this, that when we die, those who have chosen to surrender their lives to God, to live with Jesus as, as Lord, King, and ruler of their lives, like we will be with him. Where? I I don't fully know. And then at some point, Jesus will return, and and we will talk more about this next week, and and he will make things right. And when all that is done, we'll spend eternity in his presence. And I think this is what I want us to, to grab today. Whether you really care deeply about what I'm talking about or not, Uh, I think that there are areas and ideas of our life and our beliefs that I'm going to use this, like we need to have a tight grip on some of these areas. And don't let anybody talk you out of that or anything kind of move you away from that. Uh, And and we believe in it, we have faith, we trust, and we hold on to it tightly. Then there are other things that we believe and we probably should hold on to those loosely. And the reason we hold them loosely is because we aren't given all the information that we need to hold on to them tightly. But what trust and faith are is that we believe we have the information we are meant to have. We know everything that we need to know to make this work. All right? and, and if we don't have a certain information, it's because we don't need it to accomplish the mission that God's given us. So those areas we hold loosely. And, and if it turns out that what we believed isn't how it actually is, that's fine because we're holding on to it loosely. And if we learn something new and grow and it changes, that's okay because we're holding it loosely. And so let me give you just like two examples of where I think this is is massive and should be important. We hold tightly to the idea that God created the earth. We hold loosely to how he created it, how long it took, what the process looked like. Because, and, and these things are important. Because if, if someone at a young age has been taught to hold on tightly and they leave home and they go off to school and all of a sudden they're confronted with some really good arguments, you know, let's say that they were taught like earth was created in literal seven 24-hour periods. Now they have to decide what do I believe, that the earth is however many billions of years old or that the Bible is true because they're holding on to that part of it tightly. Whereas instead, if you hold on to some of those things loosely, you say, oh, that's cool. I love science. And the amount of times where I'm like, this is, this is what I do. When I find out something new in science, I'm like, so that's how God did it. That's awesome. Because you hold on to some of those things loosely. Okay, when it comes to the end times, we hold on tightly that Jesus is going to return. 
There's no doubt in my mind about that. Jesus will return. How he does it, when he does it, what that looks like, everything surrounding it, I actually, I'm not super confident in those things. I have some beliefs about them. Beliefs that I've read through the Bible and, and, and pulling out of that that I say, you know what, this is what it looks like it'll be. But I hold on to them loosely because they're not going to really matter in the end. What does matter is that I believe that Jesus is returning. When we try and teach people to hold on to everything super tightly, I think this is part of the reason why, as I have conversations with young adults, so many of them walk away from their faith. Not because they don't believe in God anymore, there's just no way that God could be real. Lots of it is because either, A, they've been hurt by the church and or Christians, or B, they just don't know how to make sense of what they've been taught to believe from the church and what they've been taught to believe elsewhere. Now understand, there, there are some things where maybe there's, there's some arguments that should be had. You know, and some things that are called science today, you know, they, they are conveniently leaving out that they are still theories. There's a lot of things that can't be proven. It takes faith to believe in God. It takes faith to believe in some of the things that, that, that science has, has said. We think this is how it works. And I would almost say that some of them might say, we, we hang on to this loosely, even though some people don't. And they're like, this is absolutely how it worked. And I think that this is important for us to understand that there are areas, and as we went through some of these foundational things, there are areas that you hang on to tightly. And they're usually more generalized areas. And then there are things you hang on to loosely, and usually that is very specific things inside of the generalized area. Because here's the thing, if there are people with doctorates of theology that both love Jesus, have both read through the Bible many times, studied it in the original language, and they disagree on something. How many of you guys know that that means like there probably isn't like one easy right answer out there? The amount of people that disagree on how different things in the Bible are, but not in a way where they're trying to tear the Bible apart or disprove it. They're saying, I love Jesus. I want to be true to his word, and this is what I see. And it's different from someone else who has spent an equal amount of decades studying the same thing. So we can't let some of these things break down our belief system. And I think that this matters today because some of us today, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard any of this, or maybe you're like, wow, this kind of goes against everything I've always thought about death, about some of these words, about some of the things going on. And, and I want you to understand this does not destroy everything in your belief system. It shouldn't. This actually should be a response of, cool, so that's, that's how God's going to do it. Or, you know, and it also should land in this place of just complete humility of saying, God, I want to know, I want to study, I want to believe, but in the end, I'm not going to know everything that's going on and every single way it's going to happen. And I'm just going to be humble about that and say, God, I trust you regardless. All right, so I want to do this. Let's, let's stand as we just kind of come to an end here. I don't have any big, like, this is our thing that we walk away with other than this. Can we please be curious about our faith? Can we be curious about things that are in our life that maybe we felt, oh, I've believed it this way for this many years, and all of a sudden as we begin to, to dig in, we're like, 
wow. That's actually not, that's not in the Bible, like super clear, that when I die, I'm going straight to heaven. Okay, well, maybe I need to think about this. Maybe I need to read about this. Maybe I need to study into this. Or maybe you're at the spot where you're like, cool message, doesn't change my life. I'm just going to keep living for Jesus. Great, that's awesome too. But how many areas of the Bible do we think we know really well? Or how many things do we believe that we think are core to Christianity that actually we, might, we maybe pulled other things in? And so I want us just to kind of have a little bit of that mindset, just as believers, as followers of Jesus, of humility, of saying, like, I get to the end of this, I've been studying on this more than just this week. This has been coming up. I've wanted to talk about this. And I, I don't know if I really have much of an answer. It's funny, I asked our, our two sons this week, I said, hey, what do you think happens when you die? And I got a classic answer that I think most of us, myself included, probably would have given not too long ago. And then I actually had a different answer from the other one that was like, it was kind of brilliant. <laughs> it was like, well, yeah, you know, as I've been reading, like I, I think that maybe there's kind of this area where the, the dead go and, and then we, we wait. And when Jesus returns, he's going to make things right. And you're like, holy cow. <laughs> and he, I'll tell you what, he actually got this from reading through that children's book on the Apostles' Creed that I had a few weeks ago. And so it's, it's cool just to see that like childlike curiosity of using their imagination and saying it, it could be a lot of different things. And we've lost that somewhere in our Christianity. We felt the need to defend our faith so much because we feel like everything around us is hostile towards us. We have to defend it that without realizing it, we end up defending things that I'm sure God's sitting there being like, what are you doing? You're arguing for something that's just not even, not even real. What's going on here? But we just, we defend things to no end without really ever digging in and, and, and thinking about them. So I want to just pray uh, and, and then we'll, we'll send out here. So God, we, we just thank you for, Lord, your word and the amount of times that I open it up and I dig in and I study and just how amazed I am time and time again. God, that there's so much more there Maybe I've read a passage a hundred times and I read through it and, and all of a sudden, God, you just are, you're revealing more. So God, I pray for just a spirit of humility, Lord, and your followers, that we would have this place that we just say, Lord, we trust you. We believe in you. We have faith in you. And we hold on to you incredibly tightly. But some of these other fringe ideas, these, these, these beliefs that we have, God, point out the areas that maybe we need to be a little more loosened and just say, you know what? I think this is what it is, but I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, it does not shatter my faith. It does not change anything about my belief in you. So God, we ask that just to be every single one of our attitudes. Lord, we thank you for this, this word that we have of yours and, and this, this opportunity to gather as believers and to open it up and to dive in and focus on you. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.